Todd. I'm Matt. And I'm Kyle. And we're the Casual Tutors. Today we're going to be talking about mana bases, including lands, rocks, fixing and ramping, the difference between those two, and just kind of building your EDH deck with a proper mana base in it. Fair warning, this is from an EDH perspective. Obviously things with other constructed formats and limited formats are slightly different, but we're not going to get too far into those weeds this episode. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about some things that apply to multiple formats, but it's mostly focused on EDH. To kick it off, I kind of want to just show a little bit, as always, talk about our social media profiles on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those things I try to keep us fairly active on. We also have a Discord that's slowly growing. We're getting a couple new members here or there that are joining the server, checking it out, talking to us in general chat. And then I also just started a TikTok. It's pretty basic, just really sharing episodes on TikTok, trying to get a larger audience. If you feel the need to check it out we appreciate it drop us a follow and as always we appreciate you sharing our episodes kicking it off we're going to talk about a little bit of drama before we get into mana bases and it's a subject that we seem to broach every week and watsi gives us an endless supply of material so why not keep covering it this one is surrounding march of madness aftermath march of the machines aftermath right march of the machines aftermath march of madness is different march madness hasn't started yet that's not so march so we're going to kick it off start talking about March of the Machines Aftermath. Notably about this set is that it's an ancillary pseudo set between sets that will be in standard and is still kind of on the theme of the Phyrexian wars and cleanup afterwards. Obviously, Aftermath is kind of precluding that. The big thing is kind of the structure of the sealed product that they're going to be releasing for this set. There are no draft boosters or set boosters for this set. Instead, there's a brand new type of booster called Epilogue Boosters. And along with those, there's the usual collector boosters and a bundle in big asterisk on that bundle because it's an Epilogue bundle. But just to break down what an Epilogue Booster is for anybody that hasn't heard, it's a five-card booster pack where one to three of those cards could be rare or mythic, two to four are going to be uncommon, and one to two of those cards are going to be in traditional foil. The big drama piece that comes with this is that these booster packs and booster boxes are going to be at least they are right now on Amazon, the same price as normal draft and set boosters. That's $120, which is insane. You're getting anywhere from half to a third of those cards, depending on a set of draft boosters. And, you know, granted, you do have higher chances of getting rares and you don't have bulk commons, but set boosters are essentially the same thing with twice as many cards in it. It really sounds like this could have been just a, a book if you wanted to give the lore cleanup. For the story, it's definitely just a money-making scheme. Right. Literally half of their overhead costs, which already, you know, regardless of what they say in their little campfire sessions, is not high, even with the world supply chain being the way it is. Even if it was, only putting five cards in a pack means that it's less. Right. But we're not seeing that cost savings on the consumer side. 120 bucks. The bundles, eight epilogue boosters, so you're getting 40 cards, $45. So it's not even a dollar a card. That's but ridiculous. It's insane. Because again, it's still, you know, now the bundles are set boosters. It's it's a third of the amount of cards you're going to get. They still do come with the foil promo that bundles come with and this large spin down die and the extra lands and stuff like that. But still insane. It's the same product, but less cards for the same price. It is all still new cards though, or it, well, a mixture of reprints and new cards, maybe like a normal set. How does that work? I, I'm not sure if aftermath is going to be a reprint or all new cards. They are going to be standard legal. And obviously we haven't seen any spoilers with them because they're still, well, I guess March of the machines would be quarter two beginning Q2 because we're getting Phyrexia all will be one 
here in the middle of Q1. Yeah, so it has to be somewhere Q2. So we're still a couple months away from actually getting this set. I forget that we haven't gotten all this one yet. Yeah. Anyways, you know, it's it's kind of just shitty price tactics on their part. Like, they're obviously getting savings for printing fewer cards. That is blatantly obvious, but they're not sharing that cost savings with us as consumers. I don't care what kind of special treatment. It doesn't sound like there is a special treatment. When I looked up the product, it said specifically traditional foils. So it's not even like we're getting the cool oil slick foils or anything like that from one, but it's kind of just a pile of bullshit in general. Yeah, we're going to have to see as we get closer to. Now I'm I'm wondering the number of the cards in the set's got to be way lower too, I would think. I think it's about half is what they said. Is it? There's still collector boosters, there's still epilogue boosters, but now the collector's boosters are those 15 cards? Th- those don't appear changed at all. So, and then those are the same price. I think they're starting at 250 on Amazon when I looked up the price for the epilogue boosters, so no different there. And not that collector boosters are really any better. It's kind of just a different pile of bullshit, but you know, at least they're being consistent on that front. Well, that kind of makes me think too is I'm almost wondering with the higher the higher chances is if we're looking at lower prices on the secondary market. I think it all just depends on how people are feeling the epilogue boosters. If they're way into it and they want to pay full retail for half as many cards and they go nuts on them, then yeah, I'm sure we're definitely going to see a higher supply of rares and mythics. But I think the general consensus is that, like I said, they're a pile of bullshit, so they're not going to be insanely popular. And even then, we don't even know if they're going to print good shit in this you know, set between sets. Well, and I will say it does seem like recently the Magic player base has been a lot better at not giving in to Watsy, yeah. so... The FOMO has been decreased since Magic 30. So best benefits of them releasing proxy cards has been, one, people are much more accepting of proxies on the whole, I found, but also people are less willing to give in to Watsy's bullshit. Okay, drama concluded for this episode so far. You know, something might rear up again later. Who knows? But we're going to dive right into mana and how you should be playing your mana in EDH. Starting out, I just kind of have some personal anecdotes about how many lands I prefer in decks. I'm sure Kyle has some on his end. But in general, I think 36 lands, plus or minus, is what you where you want to be for your general power level 7 synergistic deck. If you're doing strategies like lands, obviously you want to have 40 plus. If you're doing CDH, you have sub 30 lands. And that's just kind of my personal feelings without looking at it too hard. It's how I've always built my decks for the past decade. Kyle? I mean, I, like, I bring it up a lot. I, I typically go by the third rule. A third of your deck should be lands. So I would never go, I would never go below 33 in a standard deck. And that's also going to be very dependent on ramp and rocks and other things in the deck. Like Matt said, if you have less of those, if you have higher mana cost, if you're playing, you know, some crazy battleship deck or battle cruise deck you're probably going to want more lands to ensure you can play those cards it's going to depend what colors you're in there's there's a lot of different factors but a third of your deck is a pretty safe bet yep and rolling right along into rocks (laughs) i always play four to ten in my general non-green decks in decks that have green, that place is generally filled by ramp spells, like you get Kadama's Reach and Farseek, and obviously 4 to 10 is a pretty wide range, and that's kind of just how greedy I'm feeling with the deck. If I'm, there's a lot of different synergies I'm trying to cram in, then I'm going to run closer to the four side. If it's something like artifacts, where most rocks are artifacts, so they're playing into the synergies, and I might just have fewer cards that work with the deck, then I'm towards that 10 end. Uh, that's a good point. Speaking of most rocks are artifacts, looking at other types I would kind of put dorks and rocks in the same kind of boat together. The nice thing about rocks, though, is rocks are harder to remove, typically, than a dork is, just because it's a creature body. I mean, there's lots of creature removal. There's lots of combat tricks, even, that can... 
you know, force you to block, do things like whatever, or force you to attack. So rocks are, are generally a little bit safer depending on what your strategy is, of course. I'm kind of in the boat with Matt. I tend to go, I tend to lean on the higher side of rocks. I don't know why, but my, my brain feels like rocks are playing actual cards and lands aren't. So it feels better to me to have more rocks and less lands than the opposite. Yeah. So ramp, again, Kyle kind of touched on it, where we're talking about spells, like I mentioned, Kadama's Reach and Farseek, but also Mana Dorks, where you got your typical Land and War Elves, you got your, your Finhorn and Elfin. Avacyn's Pilgrim, Elves of Deep Shadow, lots of different ones. Uh, even even into the more expensive, like uh, Noble Hierarch and Ignoble Hierarch, which isn't as expensive as Noble, but still really good as a, a one-cost tap for one of each of three colors. Yep, and those are what I consider ramp. Not that rocks and ramp are different, it's just the cards themselves are different. Like we said, rocks being artifact-based, ramp being uh, non-permanent spell and creature-based, generally. Yeah, I I don't know. That is a confusing one, because I think that ramp is mostly instant and sorcery-based, and occasionally you have some things that, like, secure a tribe elder that I would consider ramp, but dorks I kind of would consider their own thing. Um, I guess it just depends. And then you go into, there's also other... There, there, there's enchantments that can counter the ramp. There's there's other weird things that can happen. I mean, even um, what's his name, Rishkar Pima Renegade, the one that puts Makes counters and then into dorks. Yeah, and it like turns things into dorks. Like him himself is ramp, and I guess the creatures he. I mean, I guess they're all ramp still. Even rocks is ramp technically. Most rocks. Most rocks, and we'll get into that here in a minute. I think. I would consider dorks their own category if they were ubiquitous across all colors, where we see them as largely just green. And I think one that sockets them in with green ramp spells because they go together. Interesting thing, though, is I think with the introduction of ignoble hierarchy, we have a green dork for every all five colors now. Correct. Yep. Just an interesting little tidbit there. Yeah. Not that you should be putting ignoble in your green red deck necessarily. Because you can't. You can put ignoble hierarchy in your green red deck. No, you can't. Ignoble Hire, it's one green. Yeah, but he has Jund on his card. It's not a reminder text? No, no. Yeah. Um, Ignoble Hierarch and Noble Hierarch can only go into their decks that have Banter Jund in them. Okay, my mistake. I thought it was reminder text. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I, I could you, be You're wrong. probably right. Now that I'm thinking, it wouldn't make sense to have it in reminder text because it would just say tap and then have reminder text immediately. It should just say tap Jund. There we go. There you go. Then it could go in any deck. Anyways, kind of continuing on with talking about rocks and ramp and number of lands you should play in your deck. There are people that have mapped this out. And I found one person in particular, his name's the Schultz on medium.com. And he mapped it out to the average four card commander needing multiple colors in your mana base to four cast. Four color commander? No, no, four costed. Oh, four cost. Okay, yep, okay. Yeah, CMC four commander with multiple colors. So we're talking, you know, Junded one or something like that. Mm-hmm. Needing to cast it on curve, turn four. And this isn't including rocks or ramp or anything that we just talked about, but 46 lands in your deck, which uh, right off the bat sounds insane. I my, Even my lands deck doesn't run 46. When you first said that, I understand what you're getting at now with that. But when you first told me that, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't sound like fun. That's almost, that's real close to half your deck being lands. There's no way. But now that we're with the studying of this episode and kind of talking it out, I, I, I understand where you're going with this now. Yep. So nothing in your deck, but sorceries, instants, creatures, artifacts, enchantments, lands, that none of those things 
produce mana besides your lands, mapped out to 46 to cast your 4 CMC commander turn 4. Big asterisk on the 46, because like we just talked about with rocks and ramp, those things, they don't necessarily count as lands, but they help you reduce your number of lands. Right, they, they reduce that percentage. So whereas they might not count as lands, you now instead of having to worry about, you know, I don't have to worry about casting my 3 color 4 cost commander, I gotta worry about casting a 2 colorless artifact, or worry about casting a 1 color 2 spe- uh, two costed ramp spell, and it, it really lowers that p- percentage that you're trying to hit significantly, and then those lower the percentage you need to hit to get to that 4 cost commander. And we're gonna, we're gonna build further on our rock discussion that we've already had. But in general, in my mind, if it produce, if that rock produces a color mana, whether you pay one life or whatever, it is basically one-to-one with a land. You could put that in and take out a land and you're probably going to be running okay still because you don't have any higher probability of getting the creature than you do the land when you're just drawing off the top. When you get rocks that produce colorless mana, like the ever-important soaring, every colorless mana it produces to me is half of a land. So soaring produces two colorless so it is effectively one land but if we get things like mindstone that produce one you're still shorting yourself if you're removing a land for a mindstone and that's just kind of how i math it out when i'm trying to get my mana base to work right the thing with that though is to keep in mind is be careful with some of the higher costing ones if you start to get into things like like i don't see it very often anymore or at all but you used to see it things like dreamstone hedron that taps for three thran dynamo thran dynamo um even hedron archive yeah, those may look better when you look at it from that perspective, but you also have to realize that, you know, the most of the taps for three rocks cost five. Yep, and the, the higher CMC you get... Or I think Dreamstone is six, maybe. Not sure. But the higher CMC you get that you're spending on rocks, they are taking places of other spells you want to be playing to progress your deck. And you kind of get away with it playing, you know, the two-costed mana rock has been the norm for magic and has been pushed by creators for, you know, at least the past five years. But that's because turns one and two, you're not doing a lot typically and building your mana base up with those two costed rocks. There's not a whole lot of, you're not, there's not a high opportunity cost there. Yeah. And, and it's hard because I do agree with the old, the old saying of you want to at least get half back, right? So if you're paying two mana, you want it to tap for one. If you were paying four mana, you'd want it to tap for at least two. Now the problem is, is there were some that used to see a lot of play that cost like three only tap for one, but had additional effects on it and even those are starting to i mean i can't even remember the last time i saw a commander sphere in somebody's deck that wasn't a pre-con I, I do see it it's definitely still one of the more popular budget rocks just because there's no cost to sack it to draw that card sure i do think though in my opinion if money's not an issue and a lot of these rocks have been reprinted so it really shouldn't be commander sphere is bad it shouldn't be in your deck in my opinion yeah unless you have something very specific i did consider it and end up cutting it from my mystery imminent one just because I could be copying it and then sacking that 4-4 copy and drawing a card at the end of turn instead of letting it sack to itself. That's value. It did get cut. I, I'm playing three talismans instead of that. But, you know, it, it's just things that other things to consider. But in general, yes, I would consider, you know, I hate to say it because I don't want to box people into only playing two costed mana rocks. But realistically, if you're competing at, you know, I think the most prevalent power level, which is seven and eight, those two costed mana rocks are really your only choices. Right. I mean, and it's, and and this this will probably move us into the next subject a little bit, but I even uh, stopped playing the signets in most of my decks 
because I, I don't think they're that good. First off, they're we're we're gonna get into this, but they're they're not ramp. Right. So we already very briefly touched it where we're talking about rocks being ramp and I corrected and said not always. And signets are the perfect case of that because they're what we call fixing and there's multiple artifacts there's the key runes there's it seems to be everything around ravnica fixes rather than ramps but it's in general ramp is when you're spending mana to get more mana than you spend whereas fixing is you're spending mana to get certain colors of mana and i guess the signets kind of work as both because you pay one to get two so you you they do kind of work as both but my problem with them is and this is the reason why i don't consider them traditional ramp is the signets do not do anything on their own right you always have to hold something up to make your signet work and i don't consider the ramp even though you are getting that additional one when you're paying one into it just because you could just play a land at that spot and you'll still get that additional one right. well and you're also i mean you're using two cards to make two mana Right. So it's not like I said with the mana getting additional mana or getting fixed mana, which you are. But Kyle's right. Two cards for two mana isn't really ramping. Like I said, it could be a land and then you didn't pay anything for it and you still have the same number of cards in your deck. But I mean, at this point with the uh, printing of the talismans, with the reprinting of the talismans in recent years, just play the talismans. They, they tap for a colorless without any negative right out the gate. Or you can pay a life to get one of the two colors and kind of just talking about the atmosphere around it. There's a couple different pros. I don't know them off my, off the top of my head, but I know MTG goldfish also talked or had a whole episode about this where, and I think it was a commander clash episode titled our rocks, a scam. And it stemmed from this professional making a bit, either a TikTok or a reel or something talking about just play lands instead of mana rocks. So kind of, as you could tell, I'm sort of in that boat where things like signets and stuff, I think you should just play a land. He made the point though. And this is, I do not follow this line of thought at all that mana rocks are easier to destroy than lands. They don't necessarily offer you more value in most cases. Obviously there's outliers, but necessarily offer you more value than a land would be in that slot. So just stop playing our artifact ramp in general. And to me, it, it's kind of a crappy point because everything in this game, including lands does die to removal. So Saying don't play this card because it's going to get removed is not really valid. It's the same thing with Shouldered. Yeah, no, that's it, that's a really good point there, though. Is you're if that was the case, then why are you playing anything, right? Why are you playing your commander? Your commander is yeah. doing something powerful. I, people remove my commander multiple times yeah. a game. That's why commander attacks is a thing. What does that mean? Don't play powerful cards. Well, if you're not playing power, nobody's playing powerful cards. They're still going to remove the non-powerful cards. You still got to win the game somehow. My other thing, my biggest concern with that too is, is let's say we start to move into a world where we play less rocks and we play more lands. You know, let's say rocks come out and every deck is 40 plus lands. You know, we won't say quite 46, but 40 plus. Does that mean the stigma against land destruction starts to go away? You know, maybe maybe the ability to blow up these rocks, the ability to blow up these dorks, you know, kind of helps stop, help mitigate some of that land destruction that we would normally see because it can. That is a way to slow down your opponents. That is a way to give yourself an edge. Well, if you take that edge away... There, people are going to try to find other ways to bring themselves on top. Right. People play the game to win, as everyone should be, so it only makes sense. I do think land destruction only deserves about 50% of the hate it gets, and that's a topic for a different episode. Maybe. I don't know. I guess we are talking about lands and mana bases. Anyways, maybe if, if we have time at the end, we'll talk about it. But I think the biggest, only real valid point I see to this is the prevalence of treasures in our format, which I didn't mention anywhere in our outline, but they are also ramp, and their prevalence and their increase 
increasing prevalence in the format is kind of speaking to me where we're starting to see Vandal Blast and, you know, by force and more mass artifact removal as, you know, causing a problem for our actual mana rocks that aren't just tokens that we're sacrificing. So that argument I can see. I still don't think not playing a card because it's going to get removed is a horrible argument. So there is that. See, and I don't, I don't know. I think that's a good point. I think the fact that we have these removals coming in specifically to deal with treasures is a good thing. It, I think it reduces the damage that a powerful mechanic like that could have done to the format. I really don't think treasures are that bad. I do understand. My my biggest problem is it is you... I, I can't think of a single deck that doesn't make treasures and somehow, you know? Yeah, I don't think they're a bad thing for magic. I just think they're super prevalent and there's a lot of different decks out there trying to capitalize on making as many artifacts as we can. And there's other decks that aren't as affected by mass artifact removal. Like, speaking of like mono red decks in particular, they, they make treasures mm-hmm. some way or another because red is a treasure color, but they're also not going to cry about, you know, just destroying everybody else's treasures and like sure sack them in response have something to do with them or don't like i'm gonna make you have it but right i think i mean i think personally there's there's only a few cards that i would say would be that are problematic i think the cards some of the cards that make treasures are more pro- problematic and the only one that i can think of that's actually problematic would be smothering tithe i i it goes in any deck that plays white it'd be it'd be dumb not to play it as well as it's another annoying ristic study-esque card except for one it costs two, which, you know, maybe it wouldn't be nearly as bad if it was just, if it cost one to stop them from doing it. I, I'm not sure. But I even think, like, looking at, like, Goldspan Dragon, Goldspan Dragon, at least it itself has to enter or attack to create them, even if it doubles the treasures. It's not just a passive effect pooping out treasures three right. times a turn. And even even Old Gnawbones, I mean, the nice thing about Old Gnawbones, though, is it's sitting at, like, what, seven mana? Yeah, it's super expensive. Same thing in Ancient Copper Dragon, which I think is six, but very restricted for these super expensive even bootlegger stash which has kind of been a flunk in the treasure world because people have been valuing their lands more not just generating treasure with them is still i think seven mana right six or seven mana. right they're expensive on top of the fact that bootlegger stash aside these cards are creatures yeah. so they die to removal i mean you know everything dies to removal right but they they much easily so do you, uh, do you much think, easier do you think smothering tide would be more balanced if it cost two white and two or do you think it would still see play in just as many decks that play white i think it would see less play in multicolored decks if it had two pips and that depends on what colors they're playing call us r&d we'll help you balance i think i think it needs to cost one more five mana five mana to be fair two pips and three there we go yeah or like i said just reduce that tax by one or not tax but i guess tax yeah, and we see where Smothering Tide evolved the next couple of years in the pre-cons where this effect only triggers one two's turn. Stuff like that was stapled onto similar effects. So obviously they recognize it as a problem. We're never going to see Smothering Tide again. Bring back... Except as reprints. Cumulative Upkeep. And there you put go. Cumulative Upkeep on it like Mystic Remora. Yeah, I don't think nobody would play it. <laughs> Just because you're making one mana to pay an additional mana each turn. Like, Well, Cumulative Upkeep can be other things too, right? It's, it's, yeah, it it's a white card, so it might not be... That unreasonable for it to be, you know, pay one life as the cumulative upkeep or something. Cumulative upkeep, sacrifice a land. Oh, that would be brutal. That would really hurt those white folk. <laughs> white, white magic yeah, players. You still have the issue there, though, that you're sacrificing one mana for another, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyways, 
So my main use of rocks is acceleration, which is ramp. I say acceleration because it's usually degenerate, turn zero, turn one, and I have four or five mana, my commander is out, and I'm progressing to my win con. That's what ramp should be. That's what rocks should be. That's what that the whole thing is, is I get where they're coming from with the, the 46. So you're really only playing 36 plus 10 rocks and ramp mixed together. And so you want to make sure that you can actually cast your stuff. But really what you're trying to do is you want to cast that four cost command on turn two or turn three if you're Which not is what ra- all ramp does right right if you're not i think acceleration is that next level though where you're doing like crypt lotus blossom lotus petal and you know your uh j-lo and your commander is out and turn two you have a talisman you have vault and you're producing eight mana and your win cons down and you win it, it essentially cdh level of mana right but i think i mean i think what i'm saying is is i think all rocks and ramp are acceleration Right, right. I, I I distinguish it based on the level. If you're playing like my my Mystery deck has three talismans in it. If I happen to get all three, I'm obviously not casting all three of them on turn two because I'm no other mana rocks in the deck to accelerate me. That I just consider normal ramp. If you're far seeking into a land and you're getting like one bonus land so you can cast a four costed thing on three turn three, you're ramping. But if you're essentially comboing, see last week's episode, and you're generating excessive amounts of mana to cast excessive cards then you're accelerated right i i get that i i'm just my my thing is is though is like if you take your talismans right and you have all three in your opening hand by turn four i guess you'd be able to have them all out yep and if you hit every single land drop at that point you're starting turn four with seven mana but at turn four casting a seven drop isn't as impactful as turn two casting a five drop in my opinion and that's true and i think that's where you see the difference between casual and cdh but i think if you're playing casual Casting a seven drop on turn four is still going to be impactful. It's just yeah. not as impactful. It's not. Yeah. It's not CADH level because that's the difference. It's casting a turn. A casting a seven drop on turn four is not going to be impactful if somebody else at the table casts a five drop on turn two. But then you're starting to look at the difference between power levels. Yeah. And I, I think that's where my distinction with acceleration versus ramp is. Is acceleration is more that CDH is more ubiquitous than CDH. Obviously, there's more things to a CDH deck than just acceleration. But I think in your normal seven or eight power level, you're generally always ramping versus accelerating. Unless you get, you know, obviously you could have the nuts in your hand. You could soaring talisman, all this shenanigans. Turn one, then you accelerated. Congratulations, you got the god hand. I don't think. Unless you specifically build that deck, and then you are likely building a CEDH deck, you probably aren't accelerating at those levels. No, but I still think, I don't know, I still think dropping like an Elish Norn or a Jenga Taxus on turn uh, four is pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Then what I don't run is fixing. I generally just run a better mana base, and we'll talk about dual lands and the various types and their impacts in a couple minutes, but... Things like Signets and definitely Key Runes and all the Mana Rocks from Ravnica, I don't touch at all. I see them in my pre-cons that I upgrade, and they're one of the first things I cut. And it's just, I don't see a huge benefit for them in the majority of my deck. Because like I said, I'd rather just play that extra dual land and get the same benefit without having to cast it. I would agree. My my only thing, though, is is... I still think most people, even you and I, still play uh, 
fixing in a sense, you know, because like Arcane Signet and the Talismans, they all fix, but we don't play that with the intent in mind, I guess you would say. Yeah, Arcane Signet is another one of those weird cases that we were talking about with the Signet where it does both. It does fix you and it does ramp you because there's no cost into tapping the Signet. But we'll talk about this. I definitely do run fixing. It's just generally not as rocks. I also just want to take a second to say if you run an abundance of rocks, I'm talking about like beyond Arcane Signet and Soul Ring, in a green deck, you're probably doing it wrong. Because I think green spell ramp, even green creature ramp to a certain extent, is better than running a rock. One, you only have to worry about your uh, your instant or sorcery getting removed on the stack, which the majority of the time people aren't going to waste the counter spell on a ramp spell. So it's safer for your whole game plan. And two, you have access to virtually every green ramp spell in existence, or every, obviously every green ramp spell, every ramp spell, just because that's what green does. And I definitely think you should be capitalizing on rather than running artifacts, unless you specifically want artifacts for some reason. And with that in mind, though, I would be careful because there are some that are strictly better than others, right? I would try to stay, especially in the the world of reprints, when we have things like three visits and nature's lore at all-time lows in price, things like explosive vegetation, which used to be really relevant, is now, in my opinion, bad. It's a budget. Yeah, Yeah. or budget, sorry. I keep using bad, but I guess budget is a better thing to say. I also think the idea of auto-includes, is something that people should kind of stray away from a little bit because I think there are some things in the world of playing like a mono green deck where you don't need to put the solemn simulacrum in your deck. Right. I think a lot of the times auto includes quote unquote in every deck are traps. I think auto includes per archetype is probably a safer thing. And I think having pet cards that you try to include in every deck is also a safe thing because that's your creativity process being filtered into your deck. Those things are good. I just think, like Kyle said, things like Solemn Simacula, Sad Robot, because I can't say that word. Sad Robot have been ubiquitous in Magic and EDH since 2011. And putting that in every deck isn't necessarily a wrong thing to do because you're going to get value from it. But there's definitely things you can do better in the majority of decks. Yeah. Even, I mean, in a mono green deck, I would even say uh, Sakura Tri-Builder, uh, good old Steve, is better. Yeah, I think generally green ramp spells follow the same trend as mana rocks, where things that are two-costed and to some extent more so in spells than artifacts three-costed are far better than your fours and fives. And it's just kind of that same thing, where one, it's faster, you're not doing as much turns two and three as you would be turns four and five, so you're there's less cost there associated with playing that ramp spell. And I would even say Wood Elves is better than Solemn Silent. Wood Elves is great. Yeah. Needs to be seed play way way more reprints. Wizards get on it. Yeah, Wood Elves is great. There there is. There's just so much available to you. There's even I mean Finhorn Elfin. Finhorn Elfin. It's just a land war elves. Play it. Um my favorite uh, mono green ramp spell is Haro. I, I think Haro is such a good spell. I love Haro. The fact that, the first of all, it's instant speed and they come in untapped. Crop rotation. Incredible. Crop rotation. Incredible. Even the new Haro on a body, new-ish creature, that it, it gives you a body and then it does the same effect as Haro. Obviously, it's not at instant speed, and I think the lands do come in tapped on that one. But it's still, there's so many options out there. Well, even Haro has multiple versions of itself where it's not named Haro. I knew the last Zendikar set that came out has a Haro in it, but it isn't named it. So if you wanted to, you could play two. And it, I think it's like 10 cents where Haro is probably like 50. Yeah, unfortunately, it's probably not as good as Haro because they probably stapled on the land sensor tapped on the newer ones. No, I think it's legitimately Haro's rules text 
on a different card. Really? I'll have yeah. to look into that. Yep. So that kind of brings us into our next topic where we want to talk about fixing versus ramp even more than we've already covered. So like I said, fixing is oftentimes just filtering your mana by paying mana to get different colors of mana. So signets are super common where you, you pay one generic and you can get, you know, Demir or Rakdos or, you know, any two color combination. There's also things like filter lands that essentially do the same thing. You pay one and you get some combination of two colors. But remember, Remember, like we said, especially with the filter lands, that is not ramp. You're putting two cards into two mana. Yep. It might seem like it because you're tapping that land and you're getting two mana out of it. But remember, you also got mana from somewhere else, whether it's another land or it's a rock or something. So it's two cards, two mana. This is where I'm going to talk about the fixing I do play. And it's kind of controversial in the EDH world. It's definitely super prevalent in the regular constructed world. And that's fetch lands. And fetch lands are fixing you're paying one card to get another card that makes mana and there's you know obviously there's a cost associated with one life but you're still one for one even if you're getting something like i, I guess you, there's no way to get like ancient tomb with a fetch land fetch lands are, are fixing there's no argument about that they're good they're great land fixing you know and, and a lot of times you're able to get multiple colors you're able to get something that maybe doesn't fit into that fetch lands color due to some you know rules text and stuff like that so they're definitely not bad in any way but they're they're not ramp nope and they are great i think everybody should be playing them unless you're in a monocolor deck you should be playing fetch lands and i'm not saying rush out and buy you know two copies of every fetch land that exists because that's going to get expensive even though now is the time to buy fetch lands because they've never been cheaper but definitely you know forego buying a couple cards to upgrade a deck you know and maybe once a month buy a pick up a fetch land or something like that here would be my recommendation though is if you are going to be buying fetch lands make sure you're looking at other lands that have basic land types on them yep and we'll, we'll touch on that for sure but I, I definitely think they, and we're, we're talking about how your mana base affects the power level of your deck, but they will add to your deck and make your deck more consistent. Because I, I will say, if you're if you're fetching for basic lands, they become significantly worse, in my opinion. I mean, they still enter on tap, so they're still better than Terramorphic and the other one. I suppose so, but I mean... They're probably worse than Fable Passage. A lot of times you fetch... You're, a lot of times you're not fetching on your own turn. True. Another cool thing about fetch lands, and this goes for every land, is that lands are colorless. So if you're playing Is It, but all you got is a fetch land that searches for plains or mountains, still legal to put in your deck, will still go get you a mountain. Same thing goes for every color combination. There is no restriction on what land you could play in your deck. You could put a Bajuka Bog in a deck. It produces black, but it's a land, so it's colorless. I personally don't like doing that. It, it ruins the flavor of your deck. Yeah, I don't even like putting off-color fetches in my deck, personally. But that's, I guess, up to personal preference. I'm never going to hate on somebody for doing it. I'm just not going to do it. It's just my own personal preference for deck building. I think, like Matt said, it kind of ruins the flavor of the deck. So now we're talking about ramp, which, to kind of reiterate, is spending mana to get more mana than you spent. So most common one is Soul Ring. There's, you know, Kadama's Reach, Far Reach, Cultivate the talismans uh there's outliers where you don't pay anything like mana crypt mox lotus the all mox in general lotus petals that kind of thing some non-green spells jessica's will seething song the rituals which there's several in red there's dark ritual which is super prevalent in black things like that are all ramp you're getting additional mana for the mana that you put in and 
for some of those two, it means over an extended period of time. It's not just, there are a lot of, there are a lot of, like the rituals, for example, that are a, a one and done. You pay one, you get three. It, that's done. You've gotten the mana from it. But like with a lot of the rocks, you have to think, okay, I might be paying two for one, but the idea is you want this rock to stay. You know, with, with Kodama's Reach, I'm paying two for one, but you're getting that added benefit every single turn. Yeah, you cast that turn two, you get that extra land. Turn three, you're casting something for four. If you do it again, turn four, you're casting something for six. You know, it just kind of exponentially grows the more you ramp. And we, we kind of beat this with a dead horse, so I'm just going to keep going on. I want to talk about discount spells. So we got one that was a great reprint in Brothers War Cloud Key. You know, typical ramp in blues, Ethereum, well, not ramp, typical card in blues, Ethereum Sculptor, the Medallion Cycle, things like that that make your spells cheaper, whether it's a creature, you have to choose what type of card you want cheaper, like Cloud Key, or it's a specific color, like a medallion, whatever. They all make your card cheaper, and I do consider those ramp as well. Even though you're not getting anything out of it for the mana that you're putting in directly, you're getting this static, state-based effect discounting your cards. And, and I do too. I, I, I do consider it a ramp. I would say, again, it depends, right? Because Jet Medallion is great in mono black or maybe two color. I think once you start to get past that, they're not worth including in your deck, let alone considering ramp. And there are some that are a little different. There's There are some out there that are uh, everything just costs one generic less. Yeah, there, there's specifically there's like Urza's Glasses and Urza's Incubator and stuff like that. And they're not ramping you. They're not rocks because you're not tapping them for mana. They're... Kind of their separate category. Like I said, they're not ramping you. They are ramping you, but they're not. You know, it, it's that weird discount. They, they usually have, I think there's one. I think there's one from a long time ago that literally just says all spells cost one generic less. Yeah, there definitely is. Um, there's ones that say non-creature, the opposite direction that, you know, but most you out. Most of them are like that. Most of them have some kind of like stipulation on it, like Urza's Incubator, that is choose a creature type when it enters, and then creatures of that chosen type all cost two less. Most of them are like that. There's a lot in, um, uh, you actually played this the other day too. There's a lot of other colors, uh, Nightscape Familiar. Yeah, where it's a creature that discounts uh, red and blue spells. Right, right. So there are there are some that are a little more, a little, I guess, less specific than the medallions. Still good, you know, and that's, in fact, you have to play Nightscape Familiar in a three-color deck at least because it's Grixis because he's, he says blue and red spells, he himself is, is black. black. Yeah. Um, and then there, there's a couple of other ones like that too. And yeah. there's, there's a ton of like the instance and sorcery specific or this specific. So you just kind of really have to look at those ones, but any kind of cost reduction, if you can cast a spell on an earlier turn, it is ramp. That's a good way to put it. We're going to move on. We're going to talk about dual lands. And this isn't specifically original dual lands, but they will be included in this discussion. We're talking things like shock lands, buddy lands, scry lands, any land that taps for more than one color. Gates, all those shitty ta dual lands that enter battlefield tapped and gain you one life that they love putting in pre-cons. Those kinds of things are all dual lands. They don't affect your power level, in my opinion. So I, I guess it depends. So there's one, there, there's, there's two distinctions that I, I would put for them. One, if they have basic land types on them. And two, if it's possible for them to come, come in untapped. 
I generally think that adds to whether a dual land is good or bad. I think playing tapped lands in general, more than like probably two in a deck is not a great idea. There's enough dual lands out there that intertapped with some kind of condition, whether you have two or more non-basics or two or more basics, two fewer lands, stuff like that. You don't need to be playing taps lands that always enter tap. Yeah, there's no reason. But lands that have like basic land types on them, I think they're better, but I don't think they make your deck more powerful. They make your deck better. It makes it so you could fetch them, stuff like that. More synergies in your deck. See last week's episode. But I think in general, they just make your deck more consistent, which I guess some people can argue increases the power. I think in general, when we're talking about seven or eights, making your deck more consistent isn't necessarily bumping up the power level until you start getting to the consistency where you're getting win conditions turns one or two every time. So, and I don't think your lands really help with that. I think it's kind of weird. I don't think it on itself can make it more powerful to the point of CDH, but I do think that it bumps up your deck. One, it depends how many colors you're running in the deck. And two, I think if you're playing like a four color deck that has every single fetch in the colors, every single dual land in the colors, every single shock land in the colors. Your deck is going to start to feel more powerful because of that consistency, but I don't think it's going to be enough to push it. Like like you said, like if it's an eight, just fixing those lands is not going to push it to a 10. I don't think you can have an eight without having those things. Well, maybe. Well, I, I don't think I don't think the dual lands are necessary. Well, no, no not like old school duels. I don't yeah, think... Or OG duels. Yeah. I don't think OG duels... Like I, said, I don't think they increase your power level at all. I think an eight being a consistent deck is kind of a, a precursor to being an eight right and those definitely help well, and that's but... my thing i mean if you have the option between fetching for a duel or fetching for a shock land and not paying the two life right i think that maybe you're taking your deck from adding the duels for as expensive as they are only maybe take your deck from an eight to like an 8.5. I wouldn't even say that. 8.1. Because two life and commanders mostly insignificant. And like, I guess it feels bad if you get down and you lose the game to two life because you shocked the card in. But at the same time, there's probably other opportunities that you messed up in the game that that wouldn't have made a difference. Well, okay. So I will say that that's, that's also where you start to get into the problem of why basic land types are better because of fetches, because of some cards like nature's lore, for example, that search specifically for a land type rather than a basic. Why having these land types is better because like look at the battle bond lands right the battle bond lands just they don't re- yeah they just they don't have the land types but they just require you to be playing with more than one other person so if you have two more people at the table which you will in commander that is an always untapped dual land, land. yep and i don't think i think having basic land types on your dual lands is incredibly important in your deck i don't think it has to make up the majority of your dual lands as long as like if you're playing fetches you obviously want them if you're playing things like far seek that go and get specific basic land types you want them. But if you're running, let's say 35 lands in your deck, having, you know, at most 15 of those dual lands having basic land types, I think you're doing great. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, to be completely honest, I think if half of the lands in your deck are not basic lands, you're doing pretty well. Right. But like specifically, so let's say you're playing five colors and in five colors, the majority of your lands are probably duels just because it makes your mana easier. Right. But it makes sense. Of those, it's say 30 out of 35. You have one of each basic in the deck are dual lands. Let's say 15 of those 30 are basics. I think you, you've gone above and beyond. I think I normally play at most 10. Part of its availability. Part of it is just because I play upgraded pre-cons a lot. It, it also depends on money, right? Because you're you're more likely to play the fetches. You're more likely to pay like Prismatic Vista, for example, or Fabled Passage, like we talked about earlier. 
Maybe you're playing. Um, well, that's why you always play some basics. Right, right. Well, and you never, it depends on how you're building your deck, I suppose. But like if you're playing five color, you're more likely to play things like Mystic Confluence, which is fixing, not ramp. You're more likely to play, uh, not Mystic Confluence. Mystic Confluence is just a land that taps for anything. Cascading Cataracts is what I was thinking of. Sure. Mystic Confluence, I'm pretty sure, is just ping yourself to tap it for is, any color. It, yeah, yeah. Um, Cascading Cataracts is pay Another five. City of ass is pay five for Wooberg. And so the, you, the, you are going to have different ones, but you're also going to be playing things like... Utility lands. Utility lands, which goes into why you're playing things like Prismatic Omen and Chromatic Lantern. Things that give your lands the ability to tap for anything. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, you're, I don't, you're, you're going to be, it depends on what deck you're playing, I suppose, but you're going to be playing Utility Lands. All of a sudden, your Rogue's Passage, for instance, taps for any color as well, but it still has its effect. The Cascading Cataracts taps for any color when normally all it would do is let you tap five into it and give you Wooberg. So there, there are going to be some exceptions, I guess. Yeah. You're, like I said, you're, not going to be running 100% basic land type lands in your deck. You do want a good number of them. Like I said, 10 even is doing great. You just, you want to have targets for when you get these spells that let you get specific things. Yeah, just, I mean, the thing is, is when you're building your deck, just understand, understand your deck, right? Understand that you're going to need the utility lands. Understand that, hell, maybe you have, maybe you do have a lot of casting ramp that specifically wants to go look for basic land types. So you're going to want more basic lands than you normally would otherwise. Yeah, and even then, it doesn't necessarily feel bad when those spells go and get a basic land. It feels worse to fetch for a basic than it does to far seek for a basic. Sure. But in general, dual lands are more important the more colors your deck has, obviously, because it helps smooth out your mana, gives you more options. Options are good. And then untapped duels act as acceleration in the realm of when you consider them against tap duels. Because everyone has tap duels. I know I have a half a box full of tap duels I get from, you know, buying precons. And not that you shouldn't be playing some in a deck, because there are ones that add value, like temples let you scry and stuff like that. But you got to be very careful about how many you play in your deck, because you're going to be playing against other people. Even if they're just running basic lands, are going to be faster than you if you're running too many tap lands. And there's just, there's so many out there. There's there's really no reason to anymore. And the, the prices are coming down. Even, even the pain lands are great which we just pain got lands. reprints of. I, I would tier it dual lands, shock lands, pain lands as the top three best duels. Well, I would put the battle bond lands up there probably. They'd probably be my fourth. I think generally pain lands are just better because one, they don't always hurt you. And two, pain, or, uh, battle bond lands feel bad after you start killing people. Actually, the, the check lands as well, just because uh, they have basic land types on them. No, they don't. Yes, they do. The Dominaria, the uh, Dominaria check lands. Like Dragon Skull Summit. Yeah, I know they don't. There's a bunch that like enter the battlefield tapped unless you control I know. two or more basics there's... that have the. I mean, there's a bunch. Like the ones that check for how many lands you have will have basic land types, stuff like that. The ones that check if you have two or more lands. I don't know if that one specifically. It's either you have two or more, or two or fewer, or you control two lands, something like that. Because there's one if you control two or more basics. Uh, there's one if you control two or less lands. There's right. one if you control two or more lands. Maybe it's one of those. That it, I'm thinking it, one of those definitely. Like, has I know basic that there's another types. one that has the basic yeah. land types on it. 
And those do get reprinted in pre-cons. So to kind of segue here a little bit, I want to talk about something that's not a dual land, that's a tri land. That is one of the only lands that comes in tap guaranteed that is good to go in your deck. If you're playing three or more colors, it taps for all three of the colors. And it cycles. It cycles and it has land types on it. I mean, there's it doesn't get better than that. Triumphs are a win, even in every tap. They're probably one of the few exceptions. If there was a way for those to enter on tap, they would be format breaking. Yeah, Amulet of Vigor or Turtle Boy. Well, no, 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 no. I'm not saying there's not a way, but I'm saying oh, like if it's print, printed on their card. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't ever do that, I don't think. But moving on to lands that do affect the power level of your decks, in my opinion. Generally, they're lands that tap for more than one mana. So we're talking things like Tron lands, which in EH, not super prevalent. But then Cabal Coffers, Nykthos, Gaia's Cradle, Sarah's Sanctum, and Itlamok Cradle of the Sun, which is just a Gaia's Cradle with extra steps. I do agree that it is way more powerful, or it is, it is a powerful card that adds power to your decks, but I think it's fairer than everything else you just listed there. Itlamok? Yeah. Yeah, oh, definitely. It's the fair Gaia's Cradle. Like I said, it's Gaia's Cradle with more steps, so I forget what the front does. It's. I think you can look at the top few cards of your library if put a creature in your hand and if you control so many creatures it flips yep and it's not hard don't get me wrong it's in green and i believe you only need three or more creatures on your end step for it to flip so it's not like it's going to be impossible to do by any means but it's not like a gaius cradle that immediately comes down hits the board taps for who knows 16 mana right and i think of these cabal coffers and nykthos and itlamok are the three weaker sarah sanctum and gaius cradle require no extra effort you just have to play your deck and you're getting extra mana if you don't get swamps with the cabal coffers you're screwed if yeah cabal coffers works just better in a mono black deck correct yeah if you're not playing things with pips on them nykthos is useless to you and then itlamok if for some reason you can't flip it it's it's Lamock. I just got a Nyctos. I had a buddy give me one for Christmas. Nice. Yeah, they're great. And I think all of these do make your deck more powerful, whereas we said the duels, they don't necessarily make it more powerful. But I think something like a Cabal Coffers or a Sarah Sanctum could push your deck to the next level just on pure value. Well, you got to realize looking at, I don't know if it's in the same, I know it's in the same cycle as Sarah Sanctum, but I don't know if Gaius Cradle is with those ones, but, um, Tolarian Academy. Is that for artifacts? Right. Yeah, which same, is banned, same line. I think. Yeah, yeah, because Tolarian Academy West and shit like that now. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's what I'm saying is like, you got to look at these lands are so powerful that at least one in the cycle has been banned. And yeah. I'm not sure. I know Sarah Sanctums, I'm pretty sure, is in the cycle with it, but I'm not sure about Gaius Cradle. Yeah, they're, they're all in Urza's, Urza's Legacy. Are they? Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't think we need to talk about them much. They're blatantly powerful. Anytime you're generating a crap ton of mana versus what you're putting into it, you're going to do broken things unless you didn't build your deck rightly and you're just flexing having a super expensive card. And that's a whole different story. Anyways, kind of the third category of land I want to talk about are table-wide fixing lands. And there's really only two plus an enchantment that do this, and that's Yavimaya and Urborg, and the enchantment's Blood Moon. Sure. Blood Moon's uses a stacks piece. Obviously, it gives non-basic lands into mountains, but I guess in a weird, crooked way, you say you're fixing their mana base to be red. Yeah, I mean, Devil's Advocate. Anyways, just Yavimaya turns all non-basic lands, or all lands, into forests, and then right. Urborg does the same thing for swamps. Yavimaya is pretty new. Uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, right? 
No. No. The yeah, Modern Mariah. Horizons. Modern Horizons. That's what it was. I was like, wait a second. That doesn't sound right. Um, so it's fairly new. So who knows? Maybe we will see more at a future date. Yeah, I, I it'd be cool to see a blue one. I don't I definitely don't think blue needs it. I think if any of them needs it, red does. But like I said, red's got Blood Moon, which if you're playing Mono Red, you should be playing Blood Moon. Well, and I think, I think the thing is, is I think a lot of people thought it was going to be like crazy, like. Like it, it was one of those ones that was really expensive when it first dropped and then went like dropped quickly. It doesn't have Cabal Coffers to go with it. That's yeah. the only reason Urborg is as good as Urborg is, right? I, right. And I think Yavamaya's saving grace is that Forest Walk is slightly more popular uh, just because Chatterfane is a thing. Yeah, that is true. And there are, there are a number of different popular Forest Walk cards. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of that. They're, they're cool. Aside for Urborg, they don't do necessarily a heck of a lot. Um, I like, you know, you know, talking shit at the table and be like, hey, you got a forest now and you got a forest now. But other than that, my Yavamayas don't really do much. It's, I guess, great in decks if you're playing like, I don't know, a, t- a dual color or tri-color deck that you know you have some bomb like Nyx Bloom Ancient that has three green pips in it. Like, maybe it's really good for that. Yeah. And, you know, I guess a flavor win if you're doing foresty stuff or you just like green in general. I don't know. Different cool things. Just kind of Omnath, Locust of Mana. Great in Omnath. No, that doesn't matter because you're already playing in mono green. You don't care if your opponent's at forest or yeah. not. Yeah. But like I said, it could be a flavor win. Just kind of turning everybody's lands in the forest with your green deck. Like I said, talking shit at the table. Be like, oh, you're going to tap that forest. You're going to tap that forest to make that a swamp. You know, that kind of thing. Just fun shenanigans. Definitely reaching the end of this episode. Kyle, do you have anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think I kind of did my, my ranting and ravings about different mana bases I just, I think, keep an eye out on pricing. Fetchlands are at an all-time low. Shocklands are, they're up a little bit because it's been a, a few years since they were printed, but they're not crazy. They, um, they did get reprinted in Infinity, which obviously kind of. if you're going for Galaxy Foils, you're going to be paying a lot more, but a lot of them are still cheaper than actual Ravnica-era Shocklands, so. Right, but just, I, I would I would worry about Fetchlands and Shocklands and even Battle Bond lands, which are they some of those are up there too in price. Well, a um, lot of them came down too when they got reprinted in Commander Legends too. They reprinted the other cycle of them. Oh, not was that the what Battle it was? Bond lands? Yeah. Oh, um, still pick those up. But yeah, there there are options out there. Don't feel like you're you're getting backed into a corner. And in order for your decks to be better, you have to buy dual lands. You have to spend hundreds of dollars on a mana base. You you don't. Or if you are going to spend hundred dollars on lands, buy all the fetches, buy all the shocks. Yep. Definitely do that before you start pursuing dual lands. And not that you shouldn't get dual lands. They're a cool thing to have. Like I said, they're not going to vastly improve your deck. Uh, they're more of a flex than anything at this point. But, you know, sometimes a good deal comes along, snag it, because I don't think it's something you're really going to regret down the road. Anyways, just take another second or two to talk about our social media. We're, you know, super active on Facebook. We post on Twitter and Instagram, you know, a couple times a week. And then our Discord is really what I'm excited about. Uh, Like I said, we have a few new members that are joining every week. I want to get more people in there. I want to start doing spell table games with you guys. Want to, you know, do deck reviews, deck help, that kind of thing. And just kind of get, you know, a small community growing virtually. TikTok, like I said, 
is a thing too. Not really necessary. Just trying to branch out and advertise our new episodes mainly in a, a different space. So if you want to like and follow there, share, cool. But the main important thing, and we thank you guys for doing this so much already, is just sharing our episodes. We're on several diff- seven different platforms, including Spotify and Amazon. So just, you know, stealing, you know, a relative's phone during the holiday season and downloading an episode, something like that, you know, just, pr- you know, promoting it to your friends group. We really appreciate it. We really excited to grow into this new year with you all. Anyways, I'm Matt. And I'm Kyle. And we're the Casual Tutors. Thanks for listening.